0: preach a simple sermon today, but one is that is foundational to your Christian life. And it goes along with our theme of vision for the year. Uh, but this truth is absolutely foundational to every part of your life. If you don't get this truth down, uh, then you're going to be frustrated and struggle uh, in a certain area of your life. Asking God to do things when He's actually given you something better. Sometimes we make the mistake we don't know the Scriptures or the will of God, so we ask for something less than what God has already given us. Now, we don't know we're asking for less. We ask in ignorance. But sometimes we fail to see uh, the beauty and the value of what God's given us already. And so today I want to uh, preach a simple message, and let's look at this scripture. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Second uh, Peter chapter one. We'll read verses. Let's read verses fifteen through twenty-one, and we'll read responsively. So you'll join with me every other verse, starting with me. I'll read every other verse alone. We'll end together uh, on verse twenty-one. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, the Word of God says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father, honor, and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And let's pray. Lord, we discussed this vital topic this morning, one that is simple and foundational to some, for others, it'll be new and fresh. But Lord, it's something that all of us need to be reminded of uh, so that we value the wonderful gift of the Scripture you've given us. And so I pray that you give me the words to say, give us ears to hear, Spirit of God, speak to each person, save those that need saved, encourage those that need it comfort those that are afflicted, Uh, afflict the comforted, Uh, may we all sense your presence and your uh, spirit talking to us, and then Lord we pray you'd forgive us of our sin, if there be anything between us and you, any unconfessed sin, we pray that you'd uh, cleanse that with the blood of Christ so that we can have good fellowship with you and with one another as we listen to thy word, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, you may be seated. How many of you here today own a Bible? Let me see your hands. I mean, you own a Bible. Let's leave them up there for a second. So that's all of us. And praise the Lord. Everybody in the room owns a Bible. And that doesn't surprise me because if you don't own a Bible, our church will give you one. Uh, We believe in the Word of God. We believe in the Scripture. We have dollar store Bibles on our buses that we'll pass out dollar store Bibles to anybody that comes. Then we'll. Sometimes we'll give away the, the uh, 5 or $6 gift and award Bibles, and those are kind of a paperback Bible, just a little bit nicer than the, the dollar store Bible. Uh, and then if you read that, you can purchase one of your own, or, or you might be gifted one uh, as you learn to take care of the Scriptures. You know, I didn't start off as a young man with a beautiful leather Bible. I didn't value it that much. Uh, but as I've grown and, and served the Lord over these years, the Bible becomes very precious. When you start using your Bible an awful lot, it's nice to get one that's not going to fall apart. And so and this one was a gift to me from some preacher friends. Nicest Bible I've ever owned. Uh, but I value it, and I valued the Scripture long before uh, I, I got this one. And I value the little dollar store Bibles uh, because they are they, the Word of God. And so... Uh, the Word of God is is so important. So if you own a Bible, you have a treasure that's of an inestimable value. It's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. And I fear sometimes we see the Bible as almost an accessory that we take to church with us. You know, oh, I got my my tie, I got my shirt, I got my... my ladies, get your purse. You guys don't carry a purse, but ladies, get your purse. Oh, where's my Bible? You know, it's almost like there's just something we bring to church with us. Well, I know many of you that's not the case because you read this book every day, you're in this book, you think about it, you pray about it, and I encourage that for all of us. Old, uh, older Christians in the Lord, not necessarily age, and younger Christians in the Lord, maybe you got saved recently, you ought to have a daily relationship with the Word of God. And it, when people newly get saved or with the young people, I often encourage them at least read a verse a day, at least a verse a day and then move up to a chapter a day, and then move up to some more. And, you know, if you read four chapters every day, you could read this book in a year. That's pretty impressive. How many, how many hours are there in a week? 168 hours in a week. Now, those of you that I've said this before, you've heard me say this. Don't, don't just blurt it out. But how, how many hours do you think it takes to read through this whole Bible? You thank goodness, thousands. You're, that's what it feels like. Thousands. Uh, well, if you listen to the Bible on uh, an audio Bible, it's about 80 hours. And that's reading slow. Most of you will read your Bible faster than Alexander Skirby, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> I mean, that's, I love that guy's voice. It's just awesome. Uh but, I mean, you think about it, 80 hours in a year. And we say, oh, I could never read the Bible in a year. How much TV do you think people watch in a year? Uh, it would scare you. Look it up. It would scare you to look up how much the average uh, adult, how many hours of TV they watch a year. And so w- all I'm trying to say is that this book, we know it's priceless, but there's a disconnect in our mind between we know it's priceless and how we use it. Uh, and and today we're going to try to bridge that gap and I want to show you a, a very special truth that is really life changing. And so we're going to in this simple message we're going to explain the supremacy of God's word. And so the the title is the supremacy of written vision. Written vision. And so our our theme for the year where there is no vision the people perish Proverbs 29:18. The word vision in that That context is actually speaking of the Word of God. Uh, There was a time when God's words were not written down for man. Now, if you understand the Bible, we know that the completed Word of God has always been in heaven. Uh, God, through His foreknowledge, knew every word that would be written in our completed Bibles. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. So when God inspired people to write the Bible, he was just having them write what was already written in heaven. Uh, No surprises to God. Then he preserved it through every generation. And so people say, well, we we need to look at the originals. The the originals don't exist. Uh, Matter of fact, there was no original Bible. It was different manuscripts. They were all different pieces here and there, and they were put together together. And so we're not going to get into all that today, but people, you hear people talk about, well, we need the originals to know God's Word. Well, there are no originals available today. So that means you don't have the Word of God if you feel like you need the originals. The truth is God inspired His Word originally. He preserved it for us generationally, and the copy that, of, of the Bible that I hold in my hands today is the Word of God. And we believe in an every word Bible. Uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, Jesus said. Proverbs chapter 30, uh, every word of God is pure. And so there has to be an every word Bible somewhere, and we believe we have it here. And that's why we're not looking for a new one, amen? We don't need a, a new and improved version. We just need to learn a few vocabulary words, and, and we'll stick with the one that every major revival in English history has happened with the book that I have right here in my hands. Think about that. That's impressive. Uh, and so we have the word of God. We understand that it's priceless. We understand that this is the word of God, that it's been forever settled in heaven. But before the Bible was given to man, God spoke to people in miraculous ways. And so I'm going to get back to, to 2 Peter in a moment. Uh, and We're going to give you a little bit of an introduction here first. But before the Bible was given to man in its completed form... God spoke to man through visions. Look at Psalm 89. We're going to look at your Bibles here a little bit. Psalm 89. And look at verse 19. Then thou spakest in vision to the Holy One, and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. Now we could look at a lot of different places where God spoke in visions. So there was no... Uh, Word of God written, so they had to wait for the Word of God to come. And the Word of God would come through often a vision, or sometimes uh, He would often speak through His prophets. Look at Numbers chapter 12. So we see visions, and then we see prophets. Uh, Typically, God would give a vision to a prophet, and then the prophet would go tell everybody else what God had told him. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6. And he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a what? Vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. And so sometimes they would speak through prophets in visions, sometimes in dreams. And we learn that these these, uh, visions could include representations of God. Isaiah 6.1. We see that Isaiah saw... Of uh, the Lord high and lifted up and sitting upon his throne, and the train filled the temple. This was a vision of the glory of God. We see that sometimes he would speak in an audible voice from heaven. Uh, Genesis fifteen i I'll read it for you. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. We know that God spoke to Samuel, first Samuel 3 verses 4 and 5 that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lay down again. And he went to lay down again. And so that was God trying to get uh, the little prophet Samuel's attention. And so God speaking. To people. Matter of fact, the Bible said about Samuel, he didn't let the words of God fall to the ground. He valued the vision from God. Anytime God would speak to him, he had great value for that. And I think we ought to feel the same way. So sometimes these visions would include a representation of God. Sometimes they would include the appearance of angels. And so if you think about uh, the, the father of John the Baptist, he's in the temple working. Luke 1, 11 says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Uh, verse 22 says, And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. He beckoned unto them and remained speechless. If you remember, he had doubt, so he said, What sign are you going to give me? So I know these things are going to come to pass? And the angel said, Okay, you're not going to be able to speak until the things that I say come to pass. And he came out and couldn't speak. And so God speaking through the appearance of angels. He appeared unto Peter in Acts chapter ten, verse thirteen, and there came a voice to him, Arise, Peter, kill. And eat, and so the Bible records many people that saw visions. we saw Abraham in genesis fifteen one jacob genesis forty six two Moses repeatedly exodus chapter three. Uh, And then again, uh, that recorded in Acts chapter 7, to Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, to Nathan, 2 Samuel chapter 7, to Eliaphaz in Job chapter 4, to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, to Ezekiel many times, Ezekiel chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 11, uh, chapter 37, to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 and 5. To Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, to Amos in Amos chapter 7, 8, and 9, to Zechariah, Zechariah 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6, to Paul in Acts chapter 9, 16, 18, 22, 27. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about a time that he had uh, uh, saw the Lord. Uh, Ananias, Acts chapter 9. Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Peter, Acts chapter 10. John, Revelation chapter 1. So I'm just trying to establish this fact that before the word of God was written, the only way man could hear from God is through a vision or through a prophet that God had given a vision. It must have been amazing to experience one of these visions. But wait a minute, there were also an awful lot of drawbacks to this time of visions. The first drawback is their timing was unreliable. Sometimes visions would not come for a long time. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Imagine praying to God and you needed an answer to a question. I mean, you had no direction at all and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and the answer didn't come. God did not just show up to everybody. This is important you understand this. Not everybody got a vision from God. Most of the time, the prophets got a vision and the people would have to experience the vision through the words of the prophet. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see that the, the timing of these visions was unreliable. Look at verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. God wasn't really speaking to people during this time. No one had heard from God in a long time. That's what was significant about Samuel getting talked to. The Lord coming to visit Samuel and calling him, it was significant. And the reason why he was calling him is because Eli was failing in his job. The sons of Eli had just totally distorted the ministry and were were giving the things of God a a terrible name. The, The Bible says the lamp of God was ready to go out. It was the priest's job to make sure that this lamp stayed lit as a representation of the eternal presence of God. Uh, And the lamp was about ready to go out. And so God called uh, this little boy, Samuel. And it was significant because people weren't hearing from God. And, And the timing of visions was unreliable. Most people would live their whole lives without ever hearing directly from God. And then those that did, they might see him once in their lives. Some people, like Abraham and Moses, of course, saw him many times, but that was not the norm. So there were major drawbacks to these visions. Let me say, secondly, not only was their timing unreliable, false prophets pretended to see visions from God when they didn't. Look at Jeremiah chapter 14. Look at verse 13. then said, I, ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword, neither shall ye have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. So here's the context. Jeremiah is pronouncing judgment from God. God said judgment's coming. Jeremiah is preaching judgments. Well, these other pastors, these other prophets would get up and say, oh, no, God's God's not going to judge us. There's no sword. I'm not getting that message from God. It's peace. Everything's fine. We're going to have a lot of peace in the future. These are the feel good preachers, the ones that were making money and 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 uh, enjoying life off of the prosperity preaching. But it wasn't true. Look what look what God said in verse 14. Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy, prophesy what? Lies. Lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake I unto them. They prophesy Prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and deceit of their heart. You see, the problem with vision is maybe Brother Ken really did see a vision. And he came and said, here's what God told me to tell you. And then Brother Mark came along. You know, he's a rascal. No, I'm kidding. And uh, Brother Mark comes along and he says, no, no, God told me everything's going to be fine. Well, now we've got a problem. Who are we going to believe? And maybe the false prophet's got a bigger following. Maybe he's got more Twitter followers. Maybe he's got a TV show. Maybe he's got all of these things. So who do you believe? And this was a big drawback with the open vision. Now, God did give them ways to know, but it was still a, a, a terrible thing to try to figure out who was right and wrong. Look at, look at chapter 23 of Jeremiah. <clears throat> chapter 23 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain or empty, worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. And see, every serious preacher works to preach the word of God, not just to give you his thoughts and make the word of God fit his way of thinking, but to look at the scripture and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? What, what do you want us to take from this? And that's one reason why I love, I love our church and I love churches like ours. And I, I love the, the, the fact that I had good preachers in my time where it wasn't just people getting up and speaking the thoughts of their heart. It was people uh, showing you in the Bible, turn to this verse and look at this and turn to this verse and look at this and study this idea. Pray about this and here's, here's what God's saying here because it's all about what God's saying. And I'll tell you, in our day and age, there's a lot of false prophets out there. There's a lot of people saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. There's a lot of churches saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with that sin when there is something wrong with that sin. And, you know, you guys over there, you're just legalists because you believe the Bible and you think God's holy. No, we're not legalists. We just think God's holy. And we think God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. By the way, legalism is when you add works to salvation. It's not when you believe that God has some idea of how people should live. Boy, nowadays, if you say, well, God thinks this is how you, how you ought to live, some people are like, whoa, you shouldn't say that. Well, i got a whole book here that says I should say it. And this book isn't based on cultural norms and popular culture of the day. I don't get you to try to go around dressed like Greeks and Romans, and we don't go around uh, dressed like, like Hebrews, and I'm not trying to get you to become a Jew. We're taking the principles of God's Word and the eternal principles of God and the principles of Christ and applying it to our lives here today as God told us to. But God has an opinion about how we live, what we do, where we go, who we worship, all of those things. And see, false prophets don't want to deal with those things often because it hurts the bottom line. Man, you don't sell as many books if you talk about sin a lot. And man, you might get deplatformed if you talk about sin a lot. And, and, and if you tell people stuff they don't want to hear, your church isn't quite as big. But the, the prophet and the preacher isn't called to, to tickle the ears and to please the people we're called to please the Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't even like some of the things I preach. I look at it, and I'm like, really, Lord? <laughs> it's like, whew, I- I've got to change. You think, well, Pastor's always trying to get me to change. I've got to change the most. Amen. I get it before you do. Amen. Amen. I mean, there are times I've been serving God for 25 years, and there's times when I'm like, Really? i got, I got to surrender more. I have to submit more. I have to give more. And God's like, yes, because you're not like me yet. And See, the goal of the Christian life is not to live a peaceful, comfortable, prosperous life. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. And if we're going to be like Jesus, Jesus himself told us, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So there's going to be times where I don't like what the Lord tells me, but he's the Lord. And what I find is if I submit and obey him, I like it later. <laughs> then I'm like, hey, you were right about that, Lord. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm God, right? Uh, but, but we're like, I don't know about that. I don't think that's right. And that's not going to work out right. God's got it all figured out. But see, the, the, the false prophets, back then they had an, an edge on deceiving people because there was no written vision. It was just based on the word of whoever was saying it. And we see a, a third problem here with the time of visions, and that is often an interpreter was required. Second Chronicles six five says, And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Daniel and the, the three Hebrew children... Uh, says in Daniel one seventeen, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so you remember Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of this great dream. He had no idea what it meant, and he wanted to know. As a matter of fact, nobody could tell him he was ready to kill every, every wise man in the country. Nobody can tell me, I'll kill all y'all. That's what he said. That's what it says there in the, the Chaldean. Uh, I'll kill all y'all. And Daniel said, hey, don't kill us all. (laughs) I know the Lord. He he helps me understand dreams. Let me go find out what this means. And Daniel came back and told him what the dreams meant. Uh, See, an interpreter, if you have a dream and a vision, uh, you don't really know what it means. And, you know, now we and this isn't the same as the Freudian people and the psychotherapists. Like, oh, I had a dream where I was a cucumber. And and, you know, that means you should go eat more salad. Hmm. That'll be 300 bucks. All right. I mean, you're trying to analyze all these things. Uh, And and so we we understand that there were some drawbacks to visions. Their timing was unreliable. False prophets pretended and lied. An interpreter was required. But wait a minute. That was all introduction. Here's the message. Short message, because it's it's so simple, but it's one that we all have to understand. The written word is, is far better than occasional visions. The written word, the Bible you hold in your hands, is better than if God showed up in your life today and told you the next steps what to do. You say, well, "I don't believe that. Oh, it'd be better." I mean, this is the way we often think. Would well, be better if Jesus showed up. I mean, man, can you imagine seeing His face? Can you imagine hearing his voice? Can you imagine feeling his touch? Can you imagine him just wrapping you up on one of those rough days and just giving you a big hug and saying, I love you, my child? I mean, who wouldn't want that? I don't know how many times I've prayed over the years, Lord, I wish you'd just come down and tell me what to do. I'll do it, but just just come down and tell me what to do. The significance of 2 Peter chapter 1 is there's a man who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. There's a man who saw a vision and even heard the voice of Almighty God. And this man said, you're better off having the written word. That's pretty powerful. I'll turn back to first, or Second Peter chapter 1. Some of you don't believe me yet, so I'm going to show you. So we see Peter here, he's realizing that one of these days he's going to be gone and all the apostles would eventually be gone. There wouldn't be anyone left who had walked with Jesus. Uh, the, the second generation of, of Christians would be there. And by the way, great book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, talk about a few of those first, second, third generation Christians uh, that, that were leaders and end up giving their lives uh, for uh, the Lord and His name. But there was going to come a day where all the apostles would be gone. And they needed to understand that even though they hadn't walked with Jesus, even though they didn't see him uh, break the five loaves and two fishes and feed the 5,000, they didn't see him heal people, that they had a sure word of prophecy. God had given them something to where they didn't need to walk with Jesus physically every day. They had something better. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. So you see there, he said, oh, You need to remember these things when I'm gone. Verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables or stories when we've made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. You know, that the atheists are still saying that. The agnostics are still saying that. Well, Christianity is a fable. Well, it's a pretty good story if you've got billions of people following him for thousands of years. That's a pretty good story. By the way, it's, they're all, these are a bunch of weird people because they're not getting rich and happy. A lot of them are getting killed and sidelined and ostracized and persecuted. makes no sense. If this, this isn't a cunningly devised fable. This isn't a great story of fiction that was written by some mastermind. This, my friend, is the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he changed the world. And he's still changing our world today. But see, Peter's saying we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw things you didn't see. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. All right, and hold your place here and turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, and look at verse 1, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. So the transfiguration, uh, this is a meeting with the Father and two other people. And Jesus, we believe, changed from his human body to into his glorified body. And Peter, James, and John saw something that no human has ever seen up to this point. We'll see it one day. You actually, by the way, you get a... a, a glimpse into that vision in Revelation chapter 1 where John in a vision sees Jesus and you see a a, a stylized version of that, symbolic version. That It's true what he saw, but I mean trying to find words to describe Christ in His glorified body has to be a daunting task. There's there's no words to describe it even though uh, in the Word of God we have the best words. But they saw Jesus transfigured. And look at verse 3, and behold, there appeared unto, unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, uh, talking with him. Amen. And so imagine this, here's Jesus in his glorified body. This is Moses and Elijah, hey, they're both dead. Amen. But they're not dead, they've got eternal life, amen? amen? Because if you die in Jesus, you never die. Uh, he is the resurrection and the life. And so they're talking about the end times. By the way, a lot of people believe that Moses and Elijah will be the two witnesses in the book of Revelation that are, are there on the earth during all that time, uh, during that time period. And so uh, verse 4, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now Peter opens his mouth. Here's Jesus in his glorified body. Here's Moses. Here's Elijah. And Peter, who's always sticking his foot in his mouth, he says, I've got to say something. <laughs> now, if it was me and you, we probably would have said, "I got to be quiet," yeah, right? But he said, "Hey, I got an idea," mm. and I can imagine all of them looking over at him. You know, here they are in their glorified bodies talking about things far beyond his pay grade. And he said, "Hey, I got I got something to say," and so uh, here is his bright idea. And uh, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What was Peter's mistake? He was putting Moses and Elijah on the same plane as Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I mean, all of it. It's about Jesus. And so God said, Quiet, Peter. Hush, Peter. Imagine that. And then look at verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Uh yeah. <laughs> they just got rebuked by God. Verse 7 And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. See, it was all about Jesus all the time. Verse nine, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, "Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead." And see, now we find back in Second in Peter chapter one, Peter, through the inspiration of God, telling everybody this story. We were there. I mean, we saw it all. We saw Jesus bright and shining as the sun. We saw Moses and Elijah who were dead, but they weren't dead. We heard the very voice of God. Imagine how the voice of God would resonate down to your very bones and every cell of your body, the power of that voice. He said, we heard it. You weren't there, but we were there. Look at verse 18, 2 Peter 1, verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him. That's Jesus in the holy mount. Now, look at verse 19. Here's where it gets shocking. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I want you to stop and look at me. Peter just said, we, that's me who heard it and you who didn't hear it, we have a more sure word, a more reliable method of listening to God than even hearing him and seeing him. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. See, here's the thing. We say, well, if God came down and told me face to face, I'd do it. But I'm not going to do what the Bible tells me. I've heard people say that. Well, I don't know if that's what that means. And I don't really I don't want to do that. But if God came down and told me personally, he's not going to come down and tell you personally. He told you personally right here. This is your personal note from God. And the Holy Spirit in you uh, personalizes it to you. See, it doesn't surprise me when when God's saying, you've got the Bible to you, the written prophecy is better than if I showed up to you in visions. Jesus said something similar in John 14, 15, 16, where it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. What? The disciples were like, what? we're not going to do okay with it. No, no, it's better for you that I go away because then God's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be in you and indwell you and power you and lead you and guide you. See, even when Jesus was on the earth, if Jesus was in one place in finite space and time, and the disciples were in another town or they went before him to prepare something. He wasn't right with them. But see, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, now he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us every moment of every day. He can empower us. He can guide us. He can teach us. It's better for us to be dwell with the Holy Spirit of God than it is to have Jesus in physical form walking beside us every day. And likewise, it's better for us to have the written word of God than if God was walking beside me today and said, Paul, do this, and then do that, and then do this. I would prefer that. But God says, you have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know, the Scripture means what it means. See, the, the problem with, with dreams and visions is, uh, first of all, you had to believe the person that was saying it. Secondly, it could be lost in translation. Thirdly, a, a prophet could add something or subtract something. Uh, thirdly, uh, fourthly, you had to have it interpreted often. And the interp- what if the interpreter got it wrong? I mean, there's a lot of points of failure along that, that trail of the message coming from God getting to you. But the Bible says here that that the Scripture is not of any private interpretation. The Bible means what it means. And this is what I often tell you, that every Scripture has one interpretation and many applications. That means it means one thing, but it's applicable to our lives in many things. It bothers me when I hear people say, and and like you'll read the Old Testament, and, and they'll say, well, that was for the Jews. Well, that's the interpretation. But it's applicable to you and me. Why? Because the Bible, let me show it to you. 2 Timothy, hold your place there, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Let's read the next three words together. And is profitable. Wait a minute, all Scripture is profitable. That means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, all of it. All the Old Testament, all the New Testament, it's profitable for us. There are things for us to learn. And what happens is these, these, these people with the critical spirit or the higher criticism, they get hyper oh, that was for the Jews, and oh, that was for that time, and that was for that culture, and that was for, no, if it's in the Word of God, it's for you. Yeah. Now, you have to rightly divide the word. and you know, There is a ceremonial law that doesn't apply to us because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he nailed that law, he fulfilled that law, but the moral law of the Old Testament is applicable to everybody. And so you do have to rightly divide the word knowing, knowing how to do that, but don't tell me that the Bible is not useful for me today. Amen. What's it profitable for? Doctrine. It's teaching you what to do. Reproof, that's teaching you what not to do. Correction, that's for teaching you how to fix it. And instruction in righteousness, that teaches you how to keep it right. That the man of God may be perfect. That's not sinlessly perfect, it means mature, whole. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, completely, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You're furnished all the way through. See, if you don't have the right relationship with the Word of God... You'll never be able to do what God's asking you to do. All right, let's finish up here. We said in verse twenty, Second Peter chapter one, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. Verse twenty one says, "For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man; these, these books weren't just written by man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and that's that another term for inspiration. They were moved." You know, if I pull out my pen and I write a love letter to my wife, my wife doesn't say, well, your pen did a nice job with that. Your pen loves me so much. The pen's just the instrument. Uh, The words came from me. And the writers of the Bible were moved by the Holy Spirit. They weren't just writing what, what came into their heart and what they thought. God was speaking through them. They were the pen as God gave us His words that were forever settled in heaven. Isn't that good? Let me show you a last portion of scripture here we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Beautiful chapter about love. God's kind of love. Look at verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13 8. Charity, which by the way, I think is a good word for love. People say what you know, some, some new Bible versions they'll say, Well, that's a bad word for love. No, I think it's a great word for love. Because love can mean anything you want it to be. Charity means I'm going to give somebody something. For their benefit. I'm going to give somebody something for free. I'm going to give this thing to charity. God's type of love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. It's a commitment that you make to someone else without expecting anything in return. And so, charity is the perfect word for love here. Charity faileth not. True love never fails. But wait, now he's going to mention some things that will fail or that will stop. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. That speaks of a special knowledge. Well, God told me something he didn't tell you, which is prominent in that interpretative vision world. You know, I know things you don't know. God spoke to me. He didn't tell you. Now, we all have the Bible. So we all have the ability to know the same things. Now, insight is different, but we all have the Bible. All right, so these are some things that are going to fail, and and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Why? For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. You see, when when the Apostle Paul was writing this, and the the Holy Spirit was inspiring this, the Word of God wasn't complete yet. So they didn't have the full Word of God yet. Now, they had the, the writings of Moses, the inspired Word of God, the Pentateuch there, the first five books of the Bible. They had much of the Bible, but the Bible was not completed yet. So they're prophesying in part. And even even Peter talks about the insight of the Apostle Paul and how God was using Paul, teaching Paul things that were hard for even Peter to understand as God was revealing them through him. And so the Bible's not done. They're prophesying in part. Wait, look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect... Is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And I believe verse 10 is speaking of the written word of God. Watch this. In the Old Testament, God spoke through visions and dreams and prophecies. In the New Testament, they had to have tongues and words of knowledge and all of these things because the Bible wasn't done. These were things that caused people to see, wow, these are faith, that all the public healings and all of those things, people would look at that and say, wow, there's something to this. But now, when the Word of God is finally complete, And it's finally come. God says, I'm going to give you something better than occasional visions and dreams you can't understand and having to trust this person and having to listen to that person. I'm going to give you the completed word of God. Everybody will know what I think. Everybody will know the rules. Everybody will know the principles. And he says, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's talking about Christian maturity here. There's nothing wrong with a child being a child. They just have a different viewpoint. But would you agree that a 40-year-old has a different perspective than a 4-year-old? Right? Right? If, if you saw me run in today to church, and I was happy, and, and I had on, like, Thomas the train overalls, and I had on a little hat, and I was walking in, and I had a, can I have a lollipop? Ooh, 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 Brother Dave, and I'm pulling it, Brother, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, can, can, what, what, Pastor, what? Brother Dave, can, can I have a lollipop? Can, no, you can't have a lollipop. Can, can I have a lollipop? No. Can I have an ice cream sandwich? No. You're like, what's wrong with Pastor? He's gone crazy. And by the way, I'm close. I'm so close. You have no idea. close to a breakdown. You'd say, what's wrong with pastor? See, a four-year-old, you look at it and say, oh, that's cute. A 40-year-old, you're like, dude, call the paddy wagon. Something's wrong here. And so the idea is that whenever we grow up, things change. Things are different now that we have the word of God. Verse 12, he says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So now he's he's likening the idea of having a completed Bible to the idea of finally seeing Jesus. You imagine one of these days we're going to see him face to face? I mean, you're going to see him face to face. And in that moment, the scripture says, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. When we get to heaven, our understanding is going to be broadened and deepened. We're going to know things that we couldn't possibly know on this earth. Just like when we have the word, written word of God, we know things that they couldn't possibly have known in the time of visions. And here we see the living word. So in verse 10, we see the written word. In verse 12, we see the living word. And then look at verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And see, that makes that verse even that much more important. Out of all the things we could know, out of all the things we could focus on, we have the whole Word of God. One of these days we're going to see Jesus. There's so many things to keep in place. Lord, What? how am I supposed to keep it all straight? But wait a minute. There's really three things that rise to the top. Three Christian virtues, three ways of seeing the world. And that is faith, hope, and love. And boy, that, that, that should be the things that really stand out in a Christian's life. Faith that saves. Faith that that helps us follow hope, knowing and looking forward to the good things God's going to do, and then love, loving God first, and then loving our neighbor. And then he said, if you want to know what's the greatest of those three things, he said, just choose love. Just choose love. And so I'm... Simple message today reminding us that... The written word is better than visions. The supremacy of the written vision, the written word. And I want you to thank God for it. Next time you're like, Lord, I wish you'd just tell me what to do, you might hear the Holy Spirit say, go read the Bible. (laughs) Or you might go get counsel from someone who just knows the Bible a little better. When someone comes to me and asks me what to do or what they should think about something, I usually say, well, here's what the Bible says. My value as a counselor is not because I have some degrees from some crazy colleges and all of these things, and I've taken all these courses. The truth is, the more worldly education you get, the further away you get from this book. Right. The value that, that I have or your godly parents have or that the, the older godly people in this room have is we might just know the book a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, my marriage is struggling. What do I do? And you don't know where to find it. And I can say, well, Ephesians chapter 5 says this. And you're like, well, my finances are are are, are, are not doing well, and I, I don't... Well, Proverbs says this. And, you know, I'm, I'm fighting with my brother. Well, First John says this. And if we just take the Word of God and apply it to life, that's the value of godly counsel and preaching. And so may we all have a new love, appreciation, and commitment to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the truth you've given us today. Pray that you'd help it to resonate in our lives, that it would be something that would guide us, that we would trust your word, love your word, know it, and that you would receive the glory from our lives because of it. Lord, we have a rebellious streak in us. Boy, the flesh is stubborn and obstinate. It's proud. And Lord, oftentimes our flesh doesn't want to do what you say. We want to go a different way. We want to do it our way. Like like the the three-year-old that says, mine, and they push mommy's hand away and, and slap daddy's hand away and say, I'll do it. Oh, God, help us not to be that way. Help us to submit to you, knowing that you know best and to trust your word. And Lord, I can't wait till I see you. I can't wait until we see your face and hear your voice and feel your touch. And we know that one day we will. But Lord, until then, you've given us priceless treasures. The written word of God, the indwelling Holy Ghost. Thank you for these things, Lord. May we value them. And use them to serve you and bring you glory. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altars open. The Lord spoke to your heart about something. How's your relationship with God's Word? Are you reading it every day? Are you studying it? Do you meditate upon it? See, most of our failures as Christians just go back to the basics. We're not praying like we should.